How many glad they're in church this morning? Yeah. All right, God's moving. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I, um, this has been kind of a strange week. Um, I say that, I mean, it's been a regular week, but uh, I started out, uh, my habits are, I usually start out maybe Tuesday, um, Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday morning, get up in the morning, I start studying for the Word, studying, listening to what God wants to do on Sunday morning. And uh, so uh, this week here, I started putting it together. I had thought over here, thought over there. I start putting it together on Friday. So I spend all day Friday and course all day Saturday up until we have the Harp and Bowl Saturday night and just listen to the Lord. Uh, I, over the years that I've been preaching, I can pull a scripture out of a hat. I can preach on about anything. Give me one scripture. I can talk for half hour, hour, you know, or more. It's, that's not, there's more to sermon preparation, if you want to call it that. Uh, there's more to that than what, what meets the eye, because really what I made a commitment to do back when I first said yes to being a minister is I would give a fresh word of the Lord. In other words, if I hear the word, Lord speaking to me, to be able to translate that to the people in a teaching in, in a word so we can all grow from the same thing and have that present day word available. So what God is saying in this hour. So you'll hear me say things like that. Uh, the t title of my message this morning is Considering God's Providence. Uh, Providence is not just a town in Rhode Island. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so for all those that weren't, aren't sure of the meaning or that's the only thing you can think of right now is Providence, Rhode Island. The word providence from the dictionary is the protective care of God. That's what the word providence means. There's another, uh, um, uh, there's another biblical definition uh, which goes like this. It says, God's providence is God caring provision for his people as he guides them in their journey of faith through life, accomplishing his purposes in them, manifestation of divine care or direction. Manifestation of divine care or, or, or So what I started doing is I started um, getting in, I had another mindset of um, uh, doing something different and like God switched it in the middle and all of a sudden I'm looking to these scriptures and different things like this and God was showing me something uh, that I really haven't taken a real good look at before. So I want to give you the message this morning. Uh, it's a little bit, uh, I mean, he's t taken another approach that I hadn't considered uh, even here. Uh, when I say uh, messages, I'm talking about we've been given the task. Covenant Word Church in Key West has been given the task, uh, okay, of, of standing firm in the Word of God against a den of iniquity. I don't know if you realize that, but we live in a den of iniquity. But the fact is, God, God has preserved. He's not only preserved, He's caused us to come on top of a lot of different things. And I want to share, share how this works a little bit. God showed me another dimension. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to look for the language of this thing. God has shown me another dimension of spiritual warfare. Though I don't like using the term spiritual warfare because basically when I say that word, it brings people to a, a thought of what they think it is. Resist the devil, flee from me. No, no, no. Listen to me. Listen to the message this morning because he has given me another dimension I hadn't considered. But yeah, this is biblical. I mean, it's, I'll, I'll give you lots of scripture for it. First of all, let me say this. We are divinely placed for this time. You are divinely placed for this time, this season. God has placed you divinely. You're not here by accident. You're not listening to this message on live stream by accident. 
God has picked this time and purpose for you to, for, uh, to, to uh, share with you this morning. So let me say that right off, off the bat. Uh, uh, we're divinely placed in this time and season, and we are in a season where we're shifting. Listen to me. This is the shifting of the body of Christ. The shifting of the, we're shifting from defense to offense. Amen. Okay, now let me explain what that looks like a little bit. I don't want to get off too much on, on a side trail this time, but a little bit like this. Uh, we, we pray defensive prayers. In other words, here's what we have a tendency to do. We pray prayers because we're in a problem. And we want God to bail us out. So when things go really, really rough for us, we pray really, really hard. How many know what I'm talking about? Okay, so what happens is we're on a defense. Satan comes in. Sometimes the Bible says the enemy comes in like a flood. But, how many know what the word but in a sentence means? It means it negates everything before it. But God's raised up a standard against him. Amen. Uh, so praise the Lord. How many know what a standard is in the Bible? Standard is a flag. He flies his flag. In other words, what Satan tries to do, he tries to plant his flag on your little hill to claim your territory. And God says, uh-uh. Boom. <laughs> uh-uh. Not today. Not going to happen. Ever. So what happens is when I say we're, sh we're going from a season of shifting from defense to offense, now it's going the other way. We're being proactive of what God wants to do. Now, here's what I do not do. I do not look at what the world is doing and determine what time and season we are in. I don't do that. I don't believe we have to see what the devil's doing. The devil isn't, isn't the clue for us. We go to the Father. We have access to the Father. We go to his word, and he tells us what season we're in. So I get words like this. We're in a time of season where we're going on the offense. Now, let me, you hear me say this. The Bible talks about times and seasons are of the Lord. Okay, so well, let me give you, in the Greek, if I, in the Greek word, the word kairos is, is the same word using for time or season. So the word kairos, meaning opportunity, season, or fitting time. There's another word in the Greek used for the word time, and it's called chronos. Chronos is a word that refers to hours, minutes, the, 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 the uh, time we're in right now uh, refers to time in a measurable resource. So those are the two Greek words. So let me give you, let me give you some, some, some scripture right off the bat. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16 says this, redeeming the time because the days are evil. The word is kairos, redeeming the season because the days are evil. So what he's saying, he said, God says, I'm responding to where I want to position my church because the days are evil. So what God is saying, bear with me here. God is saying, he said, when, you, when the days are evil, guess what? We have a response that is not a defensive response, but an offensive one. This is what he's saying. Because redeem, when you say, I can get back, I can redeem, I can rescue. The word redeem in the Greek is, is to rescue from loss, improve opportunities. Okay? So what happens is when the days are evil, it tries to strip you of that ability. So he's talking about Kairos. They're outside the temple. When I say they, the disciples are outside the temple. They ask Jesus a question. He said, tear this temple down. Three days I'll raise it up again. And the disciples begin to ask him, are we living in the end times? Are we living in the last days? How many know it's been a question of mankind for, since? Yeah. 
And Jesus says this, he said in Acts chapter one, verse seven, and he said to them, it is not for you to know times, chromos, or seasons, kairos, which the Father has put into his authority. Listen to what he said, what the Father has put into his authority. People are trying to figure out what end times we're we're in, looking at China or Russia or or in, in light of Israel and all these other things, when God says no. He said, it's in within my authority. I can change the times and the seasons. <laughs> he says, no, Jesus says, you don't know, and it won't be revealed to you because it's something that the Father holds on to. Why? He does not want us to be proactive in the time of getting out of here. Jesus was not a, pro- a, 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 a promoter of escapism, theology. He certainly wasn't. No, we live for the day, we go to the Lord, we ask the Father, what would you like us to do? And the Father gives us the commands and we follow him. We'll do that from now, where you see us in the physical now, right through eternity. This is what it's all about. This is where the Father's heart is. Are we okay so far? All right, let me, I'll get my introduction, then I'll get you some, getting some, some meat of the word here. Amen. So now, with that said, let me bring it to the book of Acts. Of course, we talked about Pentecost last Sunday. Uh, so that was Pentecost Sunday. So let me tell you what happened after Pentecost. Peter is walking outside the temple. In Acts chapter 3, uh, in verse se- uh, 1 through 7, talks about this. And, he, Jesus, and Peter walks up. This is the first miracle that happened after the day of Pentecost. He sees a lame man who's been lame from birth. Are you with me so far? He sees a lame man who's been lame from birth. We can spiritually say this is a type of what the world is today. They're lame. I mean, <laughs> some lamer than others. But all right, let me get back. So, so he says. So he goes out and he says, and the guy's begging. That was his right. Why was he outside the temple? Simple. Uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees wouldn't let anybody with any kind of affliction in the temple. They were automatically expelled from going to church. Are you here? They weren't allowed in. This man, from the time he was born, though he was Jewish, though he went through all the rituals, he could not be allowed into the temple. He could be allowed into the synagogues, but he could not be allowed into the temple because he was lame and there was something wrong with him. We keep that stuff outside. Of course, Jesus (laughs) twice turned over the money changers' tables and set the thing back in order, brought the lame in it, healed them. Well, here he is sitting out again. Jesus is ascent, after the ascension. This is all, and here's a guy sitting outside. And so Peter walks up. So what is Peter? What's Peter's ambition? Peter is on the ambition of Christ. He's he's carrying out Jesus's mandate, his gifting that he gave to him. He can do nothing, but what Jesus told him to do. What did Jesus tell him to do? Heal the lame, lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Put, blind eyes will be healed, deaf ears will be opened, all this stuff. He gave him a, 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 an assignment, a mandated assignment. So Peter comes up first time after the day of Pentecost. He says, man, the place shook, and we had all this stuff. stuff and he walks up to this guy, and he says, he says, he says, silver and gold, I have none. I'm not going to give you any. Not that he didn't have any. He said, well, I'm not going to give you any silver and gold. I'm not going to give you what you're asking for. The church has something better than what you're asking for. Just threw that in an extra charge. Praise the Lord. Just saying. He said, but what I have, I give to you in the name of Christ. And he reached and grabbed his right hand. Very pacific. 
There's a reason for his right hand because in Jewish custom, that's believed where the strongest blessing comes out of your right hand. So Jacob, Esau, Manasseh, cross-handed blessing. You've heard that story. Okay, praise the Lord. So he stretches forth his right hand. He grabs the man's right hand and he immediately begins to stand. What does the guy do next? This is interesting. What does he do next? He finds the, the, the jumping and leaping. And I knew that, Cindy. Uh, but, but <laughs> She's so excited about the sermon. Uh, but he's he jumping and leaping. So what's Peter and him doing? Hey, let's go on with it. He can't be kept out anymore. Now they're looking at this. And the Sadducees are looking at this. The rulers of the temple are looking at this. And said, this has got to stop. How did you get healed? He laid in the name of Jesus, I got healed. No, you can't heal in the name of Jesus because we made it illegal. Isn't it amazing that religion wants to make illegal what God has mandated for us to do? They made it illegal. Well, we don't believe in that. It's not part of our doctrine. We'll make it part of your doctrine. It's part of Jesus' doctrine. And it's certainly part of God's. Amen? No, it's illegal. Insomuch, and they were so corrupt in this religion that they even had the Roman Empire on their side that they begin to attack and persecute the church. Are you here? The church goes in Acts chapter 4. They go, this is, now this is four or five years after Pentecost. Are you, are you tracking this? Four or five years after Pentecost. He said, they say this in a prayer meeting. Now, Lord, look at your threats and grant to your servants with all boldness that we may speak your word by stretching out your hand. Isn't it amazing? Not their hand, your hand, Lord. We're stretching forth your hand to heal and signs and wonders. Isn't that what they got in trouble for? So what are they praying for God to do? Turn it up. Can you see the different attitude with Christians then compared to Christians today? Oh, Lord, help me from this terrible thing. I don't want to be in discomfort. God is there in heaven so I can live comfortably. Don't cause any anguish. They were actually praying, Lord, don't let, can I say it in my words? Lord, don't let us chicken out. You started a good work. We've been doing this. Miracles. Don't let us back off. Lord, whatever it is, give us all boldness. We see boldness is what we need. Boldness. Boldness to speak. Give us boldness. God was so impressed with their prayer, he shook that place again. And it says they filled them with the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a minute. These are the same people with Pentecost. Uh-huh. New commission. New day. New hour. We're going to get refilled again. This is why I say baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time event. It's a continually filling of God's Holy Spirit all the time. For what? You're going to need another anointing and another boast of God when he has the next challenge for you to do. God didn't come down here and change these people's minds. He didn't come down here and, and protect the Roman government and, 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 and find favor. We got that favor prayer war right out. And what is favor in the mind of a Christian? I want to breeze through with no troubles. I know, I pray the prayers too. <laughs> oh, Lord, I don't want to go through this. Hey, well, we'll, we'll do what it takes. Amen. We'll do what it takes. That was the attitude. Lord, don't let us back down. Don't let us cower. Don't let us back out. Amen. Even if it means our life, what we are preaching and what we are saying is well worth it. Yes. Well worth it. 
and God just answered their prayer. Guess what? They didn't shut up. So they come and later on, they grab Peter and they throw him in jail. They will get the leaders. So we throw Peter in jail. The church goes to pray. They're praying all night long. They're praying continually. What happens? The angel comes through, puts the guards to sleep, opens up all the doors. Peter walks out. Peter thinks he's having a, a dream. He walks out and he finds himself at the door where the prayer meeting's taking place. Then he comes down, knocks on the door, sees Peter. She gets so excited, she runs up and she forgets to open the door for him. <laughs> she does. <laughs> they couldn't believe he was standing there. Isn't that like the church? Yeah. Pray and pray and pray. We're so amazed when it happens. <laughs> so even if we're not praying in expectation, God it still seems how to move somehow. I mean, praise the Lord. Yeah. That's where he is. So Peter's done that. In other words, nothing was going to stop him. Nothing was going to stop the power of God. Why? The church went on the offensive. They, God had given everything they needed to go on the offensive. <laughs> I'm hesitating because of the things I want to share. Uh, uh, well, okay, let me, let, me, let me hesitate some more. I'll give you Psalms 18. We like this one, right? I, I throw in a good scripture every now and then. With her. Psalms 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. How many say amen? amen? Can I hear an amen in this Pentecostal cunning edge word of God church here? Praise the Lord. Amen. Yes, we like that. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. He, God is my strength. He is whom, in whom I trust. Yes, my shield, the horn, my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and he shall save me from my enemies. This scripture that we like, is preparing us for a fight. <laughs> I don't know if you see that in there. The Lord is my fortress. Why can't he be my mansion on a hill? Why has it got to be a fortress? Why can't the Lord be my Lamborghini in the front yard? <laughs> Hallelujah. A fortress? A fortress. There's only one thing. A fortress. If you have a fortress for a house, guess what it's going to draw? Fire. It's going to draw enemy? Fire. If it didn't, you wouldn't need a fortress. You could do it in a straw hut. <laughs> God took into consideration what we go through before it happens. How I many know nothing surprises the Lord? I want to get that point out. I wrote it down so I would get it out. He says, so if I can keep my position in him, uh, that's what I'm talking about myself, he will bring me through whatever it is I'm trying, that's trying to destroy me. Amen? Amen? Nothing we go through will ever take him by surprise. I want to make that point before I go further in the message. Because what I'm about to show you next is going to, you're going to need those well on that. Amen? Before there's a problem, there was a solution. Now, can, let me tell you. Now, I was in prayer this week, and I was thinking, I said, Lord, I said, if I had the power, I don't. Uh, if I had a power, he chooses not to. If I had the power to remove one thing from the body of Christ, remove it. So it's never uh, an issue again. It doesn't, it's not even a word that the church would use. If I had one thing I could, would take out of the church today, what would that one thing be? No, was that one thing that would clear the pathway for all the blessings that God wants us to have? What would that one thing be? And here's what I heard the Lord say, fear. Fear. 
Everything we do is because of fear. A lot, no, no, I don't want to phrase that wrong. That's not right. That didn't come out that way. Let, let me put it this way. Fear, worship, and trust are tied together. Now, I want to prove that scripturally. Okay? I'm going to say this. It's going to sound strange, but just bear with me, please. Don't, don't tune me out. Just bear with me. What you fear is what you'll worship. What you worship is what you trust. So I don't, I don't worship my fear. I don't worship my fear. You do. You do by submission. Let me show you. Judges chapter 6, verse 10. God gives instructions to Israel. This is what God says to the prophets. He says, do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. All right? He didn't use the word worship. He said, don't bow your knee. Don't do. He said, do not fear the gods of the Amorites. Now, if you, I don't know if you've ever gone on, I Googled it. So what's the gods of the Amorites look like? They're stupid looking statues. Where do the Amorites come from? Syria? Today's modern day Syria. Do not fear the gods of the Sy- Syrians. <laughs> it's the same old, same old stuff. Why? God uses the word fear. Because he knows if you fear the gods of the Amorites, you'll bow down and worship them, and that's where your trust will come. And we see that when, I, don't have the, I didn't prepare for Gideon, but I mean, this is where you see Gideon come onto the scene. God took the least of the least tribe, the least of Manasseh, on and on and on. Why? Because everybody expects God to use Ephraim. You know, they're the warrior tribe. Manasseh was a bunch of farmers. So God took the, pe- the people least expected to be used to set the nation free. And then when he gathered 32,000 men, which I was impressed, amen, God whittled them down to 300. With 300 men, he did accomplishments. So Gideon couldn't say, well, it was, it was because of my military might. No, it was just what God has delivered me from. If you study that story, what did Gideon do? As soon as he got the word, as soon as he got the word, he says, you got the wrong guy, basically is what he was saying. I'm not him. And the angel says, nope. Lord's correct, it's you, mighty man of valor. Aww. I'm not a mighty man, mighty man of valor. Aww. I'm not a mighty man of valor. I'm hiding out from the enemy, trying to get enough food for my family. And God is trying to give you, this is my paraphrase, God is trying to give you the power and the position so you can feed a nation. Ooh. We're looking to feed ourselves and God's looking to feed a nation. Praise the Lord. What, God saw something in Gideon that Gideon didn't see himself. And can I suggest to you this morning that God is seeing something in every one of you that you're not seeing yourself? Me too. And we're in a, when we depend on the times and seasons, this is a Kairos moment. God is coming into his church and moving us from the offense to the, de, or from the defense to the offense. And we're going to call out the enemy on his turf. Let me get, get are you okay with this so far? I uh, know, already not liking this message, I could tell. Uh, okay, praise the Lord. It says, fear not is the most rep- repeated command in the Bible. Let me get back to my position on fear. What replaces fear, number one, is hope. I mean, let me get back. I'm just, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Where did fear come from? Where is the first uh, recall of fear in the Bible? Who said the garden? Give that boy a gold sticker. 
Miss Jennifer, you got stickers for the kids? Okay, praise the Lord. He's not a kid, but I'm going to give him a sticker. That's exactly right, the garden. When did it happen? Remember after the fall of the garden, fear was initiated through sin. The more sinful, the more fearful. <laughs> All right, let me back up a little bit. How did that happen? Well, Adam and Eve had no fear of God. They walked and talked with God, looked eyeball to eyeball, square in the face, no problem. They didn't die. Uh, they loved it. Then all of a sudden, here comes Satan. I like that old Cajun joke, you know? A Cajun would have ate the snake and forgot about the apple and saved us all a lot of trouble. Amen. <laughs> I still think it's funny anyway, praise the Lord. But uh, <laughs> put all the hot sauce on, everything tastes good, you know? But anyway, so this is what it is. So what happens, after the fall, they were aware of their physical being. They covered themselves because they were aware of their nakedness. All right, they're always naked, but they were aware of it then. Nothing changed but their awareness. And they hid because they heard God coming. They hid, and God says, why did you hide? Because we were afraid. First count of fear. You can trace fear and the roots of fear all the way back to sin in the garden. But we've been redeemed from that. Hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. How are we doing so far? Now, I said, what replaces fear? Hope. Hope is a joyful anticipation of good. Fear will always be pessimistic. Hope will always be optimistic. I say it that way? Okay, it means it's a little bit simpler. I'll say it that way. To the measure we are without hope is the measure where we are under the influence of a lie. I'll say that again. To the measure that we are without hope is the measure that we are under the influence of a lie. Praise the Lord. Hope keeps the long-term situation in view. <laughs> I like that one. Hope keeps the long-term situation in view. We each have the responsibility to maintain a level of hope in our own life. We have become a generation that hopes in God in all situations. Hope is what anchors us, anchors God's goodness and faithfulness and keeps our hearts in place of surrender to Him. I, I wrote this stuff in my notes as, you know, as I'm getting it. Praise the Lord. The thing is, is, We'll pray and we'll lay hands on people and things will happen. Things will not happen. And we'll lay hands and the expected thing does not happen. So what happens is a lot of religious players, they'll make up a doctrine based on that. I refuse. I refuse to sacrifice the goodness of God on the altar of human reasoning. I refuse to do it. Uh, my understanding doesn't make the world go around. Or my lack of understanding doesn't stop it either. Amen? He. God knows, I, I'm just confident with that, but I refuse to sacrifice the goodness of God on the altar of human reasoning just so I can come up with an explanation of why something didn't go as expected. Stop trying to explain God. Stop trying to explain Him. Believe it. If you laid hands on somebody and they didn't get the healing that you were praying for, didn't get this and you're healing on, do it again. Listen to God, do it again. Maybe we need more fasting. Remember the disciples? They were the experts on casting out demons. Jesus was standing there. And they went to cast out the demon, and they couldn't get that demon to cast out. Jesus comes up and speaks to them, and the demon leaves. They take Jesus aside and say to him, why couldn't we cast out the demon? He said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Jesus didn't pray or fast. In other words, this comes out by the closeness to God. Amen? Maybe, just maybe, that's not, it's not a, a, across the board ever, but maybe we need a more closeness with God if we want to see 
our prayers answered for somebody else. Amen? Because we are commanded to lift up the hands that are weak. We are commanded to do that. Praise the Lord. How many know? How many know Romans chapter 8? If I mention Romans chapter 8, how many could raise their hand? They know something in Romans chapter 8. Okay, here's what you know in Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Yet in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Amen. Do I hear an amen? Amen. All right, verse 38. I am persuaded neither life, neither death nor life, nor angels, or principalities, or powers, or things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature is able to separate us from the love of God. Amen. Do I hear an amen? Do you know what you're saying when you read that? You think you do. <laughs> no. I'm going to, let, me, let me just take a side note here. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, principalities, powers, things present or things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other creature can, is able to separate us. There is one thing missing from that list. You. <laughs> you can separate yourself from the love of Christ. The devil cannot separate you principalities and powers and rules of darkness. They exist. But let me back up further. Let me go back up to Romans chapter 37. Yea, all these things, you are more than conquerors who loves me. Do you know what he's saying? When you read that, do you believe that to be true? Not a trick question. Do you believe that to be true? Okay. Then you know what you're saying when you say it? You were born for a fight. <laughs> want to see what it looks like God on that one hallelujah I need a camera back here Jim so we can just see the faces there. <laughs> you are born for a fight if you can say that yeah all things are more I'm more than a conqueror yes I'm more than a conqueror God's made me more than a conqueror guess what you are born for a fight <laughs> the problem is who we're fighting <laughs> We're not fighting the will of God. We're not struggling with him. We're not trying to figure out who we are. We're fighting the, the enemy. I'm really kind of dragging my feet for the next point I want to bring across. But I've really got to, I, I don't know. Uh, all right, I guess we'll just dive into it. I'm going <laughs> to, this hit me unexpectedly. I guess I know these scriptures. Yes, I've read these scriptures over a hundred times, or a thousand times. Yes. God blindsided me this week, so I'm going to blindside you. Amen? Praise the Lord. He to blindside. I'm looking at, yes, more than conqueror. I got that one down. Yes, if we're a conqueror. Yes, we're born with a fight. I'm going to preach it, Lord. Yes. And then he tells, takes me over to Job chapter 1, verse 8. I'm not particularly fond of the book of Job, but anyway, okay, I'll go over. that. He said, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? I just stepped that much, a whole bunch of theology right there. God got the devil's attention. Hey, stupid. You're out there causing all havoc. Hey, have you considered this guy? And Job is saying, whose side are you on? Are you serious? God, what are you doing? Understand something with God. There is no stealth. Secret agents. Are you here? Have you considered my servant Job? Now, I thought that would be the end of it. You know, we don't end the story. Read the end of the book. Job comes out fine. Gets back twice as whatever he lost. Okay? 
Then I go to Matthew chapter 4, which is also the same in Luke chapter 4. This is Jesus now. We're talking Jesus. Jesus was led. Verse, uh, Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the, by the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, who was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Amen. Jesus was being led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted of the devil. Are you following this? Yes. Because basically what happens in these situations, all right, then we go on. David and Goliath, and, and David, he's not, even fight, he's not even trained to be a warrior. He's just carrying the lunch for his family. He's going to feed somebody. He's the cook that day or the, or the messenger boy that day. All of a sudden, he hears this Goliath roaring, and all of a sudden, he gets an anger builds up inside of him, and he starts discussing it. Who is he to defile the armies of the living God? Who is he? Who are you to bring it up? Is what his older brother Moses said. Go on home. You know, you kids. Ugh. They forgot that Samuel, the prophet, uncorked the oil and poured it over David. And he had that burning on the inside of him. Can I suggest this morning that you have that burning on the inside of you? Goliath wasn't there to kill David. Goliath was there to reveal him. Because after that, everybody knew who David was. And so much Saul got jealous. It was so much glory. Are you here? But Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted of the devil. Is it possible, is it more than possible, that God will bring the enemy to a place to where he will use you or me to annihilate him? Because that's exactly what he did with Jesus. That's exactly what he did with Job. That's exactly what he did to David. David didn't have a sword. How is he going to behead a giant without a sword? God provided that. On Goliath, Goliath brought the sword. That was nice of Goliath to bring the sword so he could cut off his own head so he could take it. <laughs> Are you here? Hmm, this is something to think about. I'm not done. <laughs> Before Jesus, let me get back to Jesus for just a minute. Before Jesus met Satan in the wilderness and before Jesus handed Satan his head, Verbally with the scriptures because Satan came at Jesus with scripture. And Jesus came back with scripture that overruled scripture. Insomuch that he wore the devil out, that the devil only had three shots and then he had to depart. Jesus didn't kick him out, he didn't cast him out. He was waiting for the next round. Understand. Jesus was in his physical, weakened state he could possibly be in. You haven't eaten or drinking for 40 days. He was such a bad shape that when he got done with the encounter with Satan, he had to be ministered to by the angels. Physically. Spiritually, he'd never been stronger. There has never been anybody on the planet stronger. This is God himself. This is the word flesh made dwell among us. Amen. Satan isn't defeated by your muscles and your abilities, he's defeated by the word of God and your willingness to stand upon that and not, not forsake it. When I said at the beginning of this message, I said that God has taken, he's, this is going to be a, a season of, of offense, not defense. <laughs> God reminded me of Isaiah chapter 37. 
when I, when I come up with this. And this is, I don't, you remember Hezekiah? Okay, and it was uh, the Assyrians that came, attacked uh, uh, Hezekiah, was going to attack Hezekiah. We know all that. And God sent an angel and delivered Judah from, from the hands. Let me give you the background of what he says, what Isaiah said. Isaiah prophesied this. I'm reading out of the New, uh, New American Standard Bible. But in Isaiah 37, verse 29, because of your raging against me, capital M, God's talking, and because of your arrogance has come up to my ears, therefore I will put a hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. You got that? I'll say it again. Let me read it again. Because you rage against me, because your arrogance has come up to my ears. This is God speaking. Therefore, I put a hook in your nose and a bridle in your lips. In verse 36, still Isaiah 37, verse 36, and the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. One angel, 185,000 of the enemy camp of the Assyrians. In reading this, you got one conclusion. God told Sennacherib, that was the king of Assyria, he said, I'm going to put a hook in your nose. Are you ready for this? <laughs> I shared this last night, and, and I shared another thing that came to mind. It was hilarious. But anyway, uh, can, uh, this is one of these things, the church, are you ready for this? God says, I'll put a hook in your nose. Who was he talking to? He was talking to the enemy. Who is our enemy? Not flesh and blood. He's talking about Satan. He looked at Sennacherib. He looked at, at, at the Assyrians just as somebody, just like the enemy would attack us spiritually. These were trying to attack his people physically. He says, matter of fact, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a hook in your nose. You ever see, anybody's ever seen a bull had a, with a nose ring? I laugh at some of these kids today. I said, man, you, what, what's that ring going to do? Is, it, is Satan pulling, I mean, being pulled around? What, what, what? So Nacanib had his, in his brain that he was going to attack Jerusalem for the money. He wanted, he wanted to loot him. He wanted to steal everything they had and loot him. God's saying, I'm going to put a hook in your nose, and I'm going to lead you right down there. <laughs> this is the part I've been putting off all <laughs> God says, I'm going to pull the enemy. He has no choice. He thinks it's his idea, but I'm going to pull him and I'm going to drag him right into your camp and then I'm going to kill him right where he stands. They don't know. Uh, Hezekiah gets up next morning. And, uh, what happened? Looks up, wow, what happened? <laughs> Expecting a fight. God had already taken care of it during the night. One angel, 185,000 troops, trained troops. One angel. What would Jesus have done if he sent a legion of angels to protect him? There wouldn't be a planet left. There wouldn't be a planet left, plain and simple. Amen? Is it possible that the spiritual warfare that we've all been taught Bind the devil, resist him, he flees from you, that we're satisfied with fleeing uh, devils and fleeing enemies and God is not. Is that possible? 
I, I, just, I just suggest to you this morning, I'm not come up with a doctrine, I'm just suggesting to you this morning, is it possible that what God wants to do in this season, he wants to hook the devil by the nose and drag him into the house of God and then kill him right there? What would be the results when that happens? All the people that the devil have been owning and influencing would be set free to make reasonable decisions according to the Lord. Because their power of reasoning is taken away by Satan. I know that for a fact. Amen? This is a, a branch of spiritual warfare I have been dreaming about. I have never even thought about. I've been sp- teaching on spiritual warfare for over 30 years. This is what we did here when we first came to Key West. We would, we would take uh, prayer teams and go down to Duval Street at 6 o'clock in the morning. We would, we would pray over the city. We'd bind the strum and bind the principalities, bind and loose, bind and loose. We had bind and loose. Keys of the kingdom, bind and loose. And I would write the scripture. We were preaching, we'd bind and loose. This is another level of spiritual warfare that all of a sudden God is awakening into the church today. He says, I'm going to take and hook the enemy. He says, you don't have to go out and look for him. I'll bring him to you. I did it for Job. I did it for Jesus. Okay? Jesus was going out into the wilderness. He didn't go out into the wilderness just because the devil lives in the wilderness. The devil didn't live there. The devil was following wherever he was going. He went into the wilderness so he could put down the flesh. There's no water there. There's no food there. There's nothing there. He put himself in a position where it seemed to be the least weak. It should should have been the most weakening position. Amen? Amen. But Lord, if you do this, if you, if you, if you bring, if this is what happens, if you, if, if you bring him in, Lord, we're weak. What can we do? Lord, we're, we're, we're in a weakened state now. What possibly could we do? We need to have time. We need to strengthen. We need to fast, pray, and build up. Really? Because Paul specifically mentions in 2 Corinthians 12, he said, therefore, I'm well content with weakness, with insults and with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sakes. For when I am weak, I am strong. Jesus was showing us not to look at our physical abilities in doing these things. So, (laughs) funny story, can I share a funny story? And I got three minutes, I can do this. So, how many has ever, you got to be older, you got to be old like me, because this movie came out like in 1972. How many remember Robert Redford starring in Jeremiah Johnson? Remember that? I can't show the, I got the clip, I can't show it because of copyright things, but uh, if, if you wait, we'll, we'll show it afterwards. But uh, the, the thing is, as long as I'm on live stream, I can't, because it's, anyway, but praise the Lord. There's a scene in the movie, and I crack up every time I see it. And how many remember Bear Claw? Bear Claw was a guy who, for a living, a mountain man who hunted grizzly bears. Yes. Remember that? You remember it? <laughs> Anybody else here older that remembers this? Okay, remember? Okay, praise the Lord. Anyway. Anyway, so Bear Claw comes on this guy, and, and, and Jeremiah Johnson is just starting as a mountain man. He's, he's muffed everything up. He's starving to death. He's, he's about ready to die in the wilderness because he, he's, not, he's not good at mountain things. So Bear Claw comes up to him, and, uh, and uh, he, says, he says, boy, you're a sight. And he calls him Pilgrim. 
Okay, like he's on a journey for the, the Holy Land or whatever, but he calls him pilgrim. And, and, and so he said, so, so I, I got this image in my, in my mind as I'm sharing this last night with the Harper Bowl people. And I got this image and I'm thinking, I remember the scene. And Bear Clog, he says, come on. He says, I'll take you back to my camp. We'll get you something to eat. And they're walking. He's got his rifle over his, over his shoulder. And he talks back to, 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 uh, to Robert Refford, which is Jeremiah Johnson. He talks back to him. He says, he says, he says Pilgrim. Can you skin Grizz? And uh, I can skin most anything. Mm. Uh, pretty cocky for a starving pilgrim. Goes back to and he shows him his cabin. He says, go inside the cabin. He says, get whatever you want. Get yourself warm. Get something to eat. He says, I got a chore I'm going to handle. He said, are you sure you can skin Grizz? Now remember, this is at Permian last night. <laughs> I can skin anything. Okay, she starts laughing, walks away. Pretty soon you hear this growling and growling, and the guy's running, he's laughing as he's running, and this grizzly bear is chasing him, bear claw. Bear claw goes in the front door of the cabin and dives out the window with his rifle, <laughs> dives out the window and leaves the bear. He says, skin that one, pilgrim, and I'll get you another. <laughs> I, I was sitting here in prayer, and I, I got this image. This is what God will do. He'll bring the enemy in here. He says, go ahead, deliver this one, and I'll get you another. <laughs> and the church is sitting there, yeah, let's cast this out and speak on this. And, 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 and Lord, what are we supposed to do? And, and, skin this one, I'll get you another. <laughs> anyway, praise the Lord. Uh, you, can, you can look it up on YouTube or whatever. It's, it's, it's pretty funny, but I mean, it's it. Yeah, skin this one, pilgrim, I'll get you another. And that's what it feels like sometimes. Uh, but he says, no. God, I, I, I'm telling you, he, he twisted this on spiritual warfare. This is an aspect of spiritual warfare I literally had not taught on before in all the years. I have not taught on this before. I, I've taught on, uh, around these things. I, I, I taught on Jesus thousands of times in the wilderness and taken on the devil and how he took on the devil. He used the word of God and so on and so forth. But I never saw where God said to Sennacherib, I put a hook in your nose, Satan and I'm gonna drag you into the battle, and I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna drag you into the company of my people. Have you considered my servant Job? You think you know him. You think he's weak. You think because he's making sacrifice for his children because his children aren't serving God. You think he's making sacrifices, he's a weakling, he's, he's afraid, he's, he's running scared. You think that's what it is. Amen? I'll give him back twice. Have you ever thought of anything like this to where God would take, hey, here in Key West, Covenant Word Church, and he would drag the enemy through the front door and kill the enemy? Not people. Please don't misunderstand. Separate the spiritual darkness from people. What happens when Satan comes in and God, we use the name of Jesus and God pulls them in by their nose. They don't even know why they're here a lot of times. And all of a sudden God delivers them and the person is sitting there in right mind and in peace and goodness of God. That's what it looks like. Amen. And we, we go out and we, we used to hand out tracts and flyers and stick stuff in mailboxes and all that. No, no, no. They're right here. They're right here. God's got a hook in her nose and he's pulling them in. He's got a hook in her nose and he's pulling them in. That's a good place for the church to be. But don't make the mistake 
thinking that it's in with our strength and our power. Always know it's God. And don't make the mistake, well, this is just a small ministry, small church. There was only two of them at the temple that day. Amen? Jesus only used 12 disciples. One was a traitor. So they only had 11. And look what he did. 120 in the upper room, I taught it last week, 120 in the upper room shake, shook a city the size of Jerusalem. Shook a city. Changed it forever. They didn't come running because they heard a bunch of people speaking in tongues. They came running because they heard a sound. The sound is a rushing mighty wind and it shook the city. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Anymore, I don't think, well, Lord, I've read it all. I've done it all. I've been there. I've been all these nations. I've done all this stuff. I know exactly what you're talking about. Anymore in these days, I said, Lord, I can't wait for the next thing you come up with. Because just when you think you've known it all and you've done it all, God will start you over again. Because we haven't begun to see. Amen? We haven't begun to see. What did Jesus say to Nathaniel? You haven't begun to see. You think because I saw you in a vision, you will see better than that. You will see heavens open and angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, as we told Nathaniel, because you haven't seen nothing yet, right. nothing. And that open heaven that Jesus gave us is still here today. Will, Jesus, will God put a hook in the nose of the enemy and drag him into the church? Absolutely. Some fish are caught by bait and fish hooks. Other fish are caught by nets. The ones caught by nets, they don't know why they're here. I don't know. I just wandered in. All of a sudden, wow, this is really something. <laughs> That's revival. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know it, but God just put a ring in the nose of the demon that was following them around, and he just, they just followed it in. <laughs> God killed the demon. All of a sudden, I don't know why I'm here, but this is pretty good. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's stay at our feet. Oh, no, I want to, so let's go, no, stay here for a minute. I want to show that video clip. Let's end the live stream. So I'll end the live stream with prayer, and I want to show you the video clip that I was talking about. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And as I share this about spiritual warfare, prepare this church. I don't know what that looks like. I said this. I prayed this. I don't know what it looks like. I said, Lord, prepare this church for what's about to happen. Lord, prophetically, I don't know what to do, but prepare this church so we could rise up and really see the wonders of God working. It's, a, it's amazing. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.